0: Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. When I found out I was having a boy, I had mixed feelings. Excitement, yes, but also a bit of fear. I mean, what do I know about boys? Not much. After I had my son, I also discovered things about boys that I hadn't known previously things that scared me. Statistics that showed boys are more likely to struggle transitioning to school and doing well when they get there, that boys are three times more likely to struggle with learning difficulties, and that's before we reach the age of puberty. Combine these two things, not knowing much about boys and wanting to make sure my son has a healthy and supported pathway to manhood, and it's clear that I needed one thing. Maggie Dent, parenting educator and mum of four grown sons, also now a grandma, Maggie calls herself a boy champion and she's just released a book that I feel was written only for me. Hi Maggie. <laughs> I'm sure gorgeous. there's I'm sure there's lots of mums that disagree with me who have come to see you speak and that no no this book's for me.
1: Yeah, look this is isn't it interesting because I um I always knew that I wanted to do this, but it kind of when it started coming out it kind of had a life of its own and um I've written it for mums, but what we're finding is is this incredible response from men. Really? Older men who have a little boy inside them that was either, you know, hit, hurt and shamed for things they hadn't done, who never quite understood why mummy was disappointed (laughs) again. And so there's been this incredibly other side to it that um, I think I am decoding the sorts of things of the old code that needs to go, that boys are tough, but we now know that there's a sensitivity just the same as there is in our beautiful girls. So... You do say that this um,
0: feels like the book you were put on this earth to write.
1: Yeah. And I think when you look back at it, you know, I was born on a farm, um, obviously not on the farm, but just outside came back and my mum and I weren't, you know, we weren't really close. So I missed out that bit, but my dad was just an awesome human being and I had brothers And, you know, I just spent so much incredible time because you don't get that opportunity if if your dad's got a nine-to-five kind of job. And not only that, I had an amazing father who just accepted kind of girls and boys. You know, I did the things on the farm my brothers did. And then, of course, I, I ended up teaching. And before I knew it, I kind of realized that the boys that were struggling the most weren't bad, just feeling really misunderstood and actually frightened that people would see that they were dumb or that they couldn't do what you asked. So my classroom teaching, I kept hearing this, I saw these massive turnarounds when I used kindness and gentleness and, and really show them I was, I was there for them. I had massive shifts in behavior and output. And then I just, that's when I went on and had my own. And I started realizing, well, if it works in the classroom, why would I want to go and do the old stuff to boys? And why would I assume that they're deliberately bad, naughty, or it's, you know, inevitable, and so I, you know, it was like a, it's like a project, really. And wow, look, look at it. And like I said, the beauty now after the counselling, and I think sometimes it was around death and dying, um, Siobhan, Where, you know, if you're next to a man whose wife's died, and you hear him the, his regrets, and so often they were unable to express the deep love that he had for his his wife and and often his children, because it was. It was squashed out of him early. Going into some of the detail in this book, how important is it for
0: mums to understand where our boys are coming from in a biological sense? Yeah. So taking away yeah. all of the conditioning and that sort of thing, but what's deep down happening in their DNA? <laughs>
1: well, we're still basically wired to be cavemen and cave women, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that would nod at that. Um, <laughs> so the, the biological drivers are still quite strong, and they are the killing the mammoth, so the defender and protector, which is a lot of warrior play with boys. The, let's kill the baddies. Let's get the guns out. You know, let's chop up, off their heads. Let's chop off their heads, <laughs> and we get horrified as mothers going, "Oh, I don't want him to end up like that." And the second one, which is the one that's changing the most is the deer hunter and the provider because you know women can do that now so and then underneath that the ability to stay focused on one thing and complete projects because we know biologically men feel better about themselves when they complete things and are successful on an external level whereas we often do it on an internal level so I think that you know again we need to um, you know honour and respect that some of those things are driving in there even in our sensitive boys but our sensitive boys don't necessarily have the same degree of physical prowess or the need to prove. So you know, again, it's not just those things. It's actually when you put those biological drivers into a space where that's what men were expected and women were expected to be the nurturers and carers. So again, we're now creating a new dynamic in our families where we we parent as teams. So I think helping us understand that a team works better when we understand each other's innate kind of tendencies. Not saying we can't change them. Yes, you can remember bin night. Um, <laughs> but that we need to also say, so sometimes I'm now aware that, you know, boys' memories aren't as good as ours because they tend to think on one thing at a time. Then I'm going to send a loving text to my partner with, a, with an emoji on that's sweet saying, don't forget the milk. Instead of Then getting angry because he doesn't remember it. So I think it's that as we start. It does seem like the book itself, although it says mothering our boys, there's a lot about it that
0: helps when you're thinking about your partner, if you're in a heterosexual relationship. I want you to talk to me about naughty boys because my son, bless his soul, gave me a really good example this morning to use. Um, My daughter had built this beautiful block tower out of very specific colors and he, there's no two ways about it. He knows how important that block tail was to her. And I was out of the room. I walk in just as he's kicked it and it's fallen down, and she starts howling and he runs away. You mentioned earlier this idea of thinking boys that are bad or naughty mm. or whatever. Now, that's just one situation. I would definitely not say my son's mm. naughty overall. It's very hard for me to look at that situation <laughs> and not think he did it on purpose. Can you unpack that for me? Like, okay. what? How do you treat yeah. a little boy in that situation? So
1: if we can remember that they they find it much more difficult to articulate those big, ugly feelings and that their behavior is actually a form of language, then one of the things that could have been going on with your son is that he's seen that your daughter's built a tower that he would have been proud of. So in the moment, there's a part of him that feels a bit jealous about that and a little bit like less than good within him. Himself, so rather than be able to have the words to go up and say, "Wow, that's a really good tower," because yeah, he's, <laughs> yes, he's seriously can't imagine that. No, he's, yes. he's still a boy. Yes, um, <clears throat> but his frustration at the fact that he hasn't been able to do it, um, and he wishes he had, so he's now frustrated at himself. Frustration often ends up into anger, and it comes out the limbs, so the body, and that's a really interesting brain research that shows that um, when we get upset as women it goes from our limbic brain straight into our word centre. for boys, it goes into the limbic brain straight into the body. So his body is expressing what a girl might say in words in that moment. And absolutely, he's made a poor choice. And that's where that place was. Um, how difficult it is not to get upset at that moment because it's really unfair. So soothing your daughter, you might know you did that beautifully. But later on, possibly not this day, possibly tomorrow, I would have a conversation about, remember when you kicked your sister's tower over, what, what was happening then? And um, I guarantee it, he has sat with that for a while because he, once again, they often try and kick mummy when they're frustrated with themselves and there's no intention to hurt the people they love. But so often the body is trying to express the big, ugly feelings they haven't got words for. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with
0: Maggie Dent about her latest book, Mothering Our Boys, A Guide for Mums of Sons. I'm still going to say that it was written for me. Uh, But we've got Maggie in the studio. And I've got to say, we're just going across the tip of the iceberg here. There's lots more detail in the book, which is really fascinating because you can watch it play out every day. (laughs) So most mums I know in my circle of friends know that they want their boys to cry. They want the boys to feel safe to cry and they will say that to them. What I've found, it's others in our lives, sometimes yeah. even the dads, who tell them to stop, often yeah. grandparents or others. Are we as mothers enough of a buffer from that message? So let's say there's people hmm. saying that to him. Um, it's happened to my son and I've said to him at moments on our own or even in front of others, I'll say, Mummy doesn't mind. You can always cry. You can always come to me. It's always okay. But
1: is that enough when they're getting messages from other people? And this is the really big message of the book. It's called Mothering Our Boys because what I wanted to do is to recognise that the role of mothering where we can decode and help our boys understand these things has to come from a tender place in women. And I have seen in early childhood settings um, the same sort of thing where they've said, look, stop snivelling or go and stand in the corner when he's obviously hurt himself. So we're unplugging our social kind of you know norm or conditioning that has been entrenched for a very very long time i feel that we we're, we're shifting it because one of the things we know is that men are often more likely to cry now when they win Sporting events that never ever happened, you know, really expressing their respect, even in some of the big finals that have just been there, and watching men just sob when when something has happened, whereas years ago that wouldn't have been okay either. Is it just women? I think what we have to have is the conversations, you know, with our men, because again, that was knocked out of them. That was conditioned so deeply, so it becomes a mindset. To change a mindset, you don't yell or shout or growl at somebody. We talk about what happens for little boys, and I think Tim Winton has said it again. We squeeze out the tenderness early in little boys by saying they need to be tough. To an actual fact, I keep, when I do my workshops with men, I say the most brave and courageous thing you can ever do is own your vulnerability and sit in the feelings, whether it's loss or failure. That is way more courageous than denying it or hiding it. So in terms of the warrior... That's the message that kind of men go, wow, that's so true. And it's a big message because we know that so often around male suicide, which, you know, the rates are really disturbingly high, a man can often have a sense that it's easier for me to die than lose. Or lose something huge to me, so lose my sense of status. So that's why early we've got to help little boys when they muck up, work out what was the thing that went wrong and what were you trying to do, you know? Now you've got to make that right. And we can still love you when you make mistakes. Because a lot of men have told me how much shame they have because they made a poor choice, remember? That people think, oh, it's just boys being boys. But if we don't spend some time coaching him to know what would be a better choice next time, as we lovingly connect with him saying, I know that's really, because they really beat themselves up, then we're not giving them the capacity later to fail publicly and go, wow, you know, stand up and own it and say, wow, that's just, you know, and there was a really good example recently. I know sort of this is a different context for all sorts of people, but the AFL footballer who punched into somebody that didn't look like it was, it was a little bit too high What he did afterwards was absolutely own. That uh, That just, I don't know where that came from. That is not me. And I am deeply, he just got up and owned it. And he owned the penalty and he owned it. And what was happening there was you could see how shattered he was with himself. And I think the more we see that in sporting codes and in other things around the world, I think we'll get to realise that the only way for our boys to grow into men who can absolutely hold their heart open to the people they love the most in intimate spaces is by not crushing it when they're little boys, because there is just as much tenderness inside boys and men as there is in girls and women. This is something I think is really interesting that
0: you write about in the book. How do our boys perceive love differently to (laughs) mums? I can't keep my hands off my son. And honestly, I, yeah, I, I. That's lucky. Cannot stop tickling him, yeah, kissing him, yeah. cuddling him. You got it. But is there a time that he's not going to let me do that, isn't it?
1: And that's when you pounce on them. Right. Don't, give him the, the di- don't yeah. give him the choice. Don't give him a choice. So what we tend to find is that uh, we, we tend to like to hear the words of love expressed, you know, and it's one of the ones that used to come up in couples counselling quite a bit. Like, she, you know, he never tells me he loves me. And he says, but I do. I haven't changed. I'll let you know when I change. And you think, no, mate. (laughs) So, so often us women love the words of love. But what we tend to find, boys want you to show. So what you're doing every time you do those touches and tickles, you are absolutely showing him. And I think um, what I love is just the simple things, you know, the bedtime ritual that is a very special one that we do every night, the secret handshake, the tickling at the back of the neck sometimes behind me, working out which part of their body they like, you know the best, so one of mine was a head massager, and he would just often sit in front of me right the way, even through his puberty years when he was really revolting <laughs> um, and, and didn't wash his hair. He would put his head up there waiting for me to massage it. He didn't want me to talk to him, he just wanted me to do that. And every now and then, some of them it's through food, and I love looking at the five languages of love. It can actually be a great guy that you might be trying to fill up their love cup by a way that doesn't work for them. And I think that's the language. When you find their language or you find what does it and you're doing it without as many words, and quite often, you know, spoken words, <laughs> they can lose intent, but write them down. Write them love notes, put notes in their lunch boxes, give them really meaningful cards, which they'll go, <laughs> but they keep because we know they go back and look at them again. And I think we just have to remember we do tend to see that, so please look at how am I showing? Because and if you're waiting for him to realise that you're showing your love by washing, cooking, and running around <laughs> everywhere, yeah, doesn't? Waiting a long yeah, time. very, very long. time. <laughs> Even girls don't get that till they're sort of mid twenties. So don't bank on that. We think they should appreciate it, but it is those things that you're doing. And and don't forget the power of the little tiny fart. <laughs> That's an from inco- me or from him? Yeah, from a mum to a son, a little quiet <laughs> fart next to them can be a sign of bonding and love, especially when they're 14 and not wanting to talk to you. Trust me, it's, it's in their language.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious.
1: Um,
0: and I'm fascinated about this because my kids have been haranguing me for a long time for a dog. You see that a, a good dog has a very uh, important role in raising boys.
1: mm Can you tell me about that? Guess what? Um, We really, really try, don't we, to understand our boys. And they do make lots of poor choices because of their impulsivity and need to move their bodies. And they do like strange things we don't understand. So quite often our face doesn't show that we love them unconditionally. (laughs) It's got a bit screwed up and the forehead's going and we're rolling our eyes going, what the heck's he doing that for? So what we do know is that a dog is a good dog. Will love your son unconditionally, even if he's wet the bed, didn't eat his broccoli, or is accidentally punched out his sister because she was, you know, giving too many rules in a game. That unconditionalness is is incredibly powerful. We also want a boy to recognise what love can be, um, and a devotion to a dog. And I saw there was a recent article about how many men, older men, tend to, you know, when they're going through difficult times, will tend to spend more time with their dog. Because guess what? We keep thinking, oh, if you just talk about stuff, you'll feel better. But it's actually not always a true thing. What what men often do is they do a lot of time processing and working out how things are before they sort them out inside themselves. So dog doesn't interrupt that. And I think there's the other thing we know. That Remember, they're always trying to make the positive neurochemicals to feel better, you know, because they keep getting in trouble and, you know, there's always a pressure and I can't poo at school. There's all these things that really give stress to boys. Oh, no, I've disappointed mummy again because I forgot to do that. So what we actually love is that a dog, if you've got a dog, they will find the dog or often even a good dog finds the boy who's had a lousy day at school. And and that cuddle and that laying down and stroking the dog creates the flood of endorphins that you would love him to have if you could stand it because you just cross at him. <laughs> um, can you see in those moments, you know, we're highly emotional beings. Not that boys aren't, they just don't always articulate it the same. And I think a dog is a great stability. My boys are different boys because we had good dogs. And I do remember once when our Jessie got hit by a car and she was at the vet and I noticed my two rooster boys, and they're often not very sensitive and caring, were reassuring the little lambs going, Jessie's going to be okay. She will be all right. You know, and I saw this tenderness and empathy coming out that I, they wouldn't do for me, but I don't know if it would have happened if it was their brother that were hit by the car. But <laughs> so the, the dog is again, um, sometimes cuddling up to the dog when the world's just got complicated can simplify things and make them feel incredibly safe and Okay. Oh, I love that. Another reason to
0: get a dog. Uh, I've got to stop there, Maggie, because as I said, there's so much more in the book. Thank
1: you Thank so you much for coming Thank you so in. much, Siobhan.
0: <laughs> That's Maggie Dent. She's a parenting educator and her book, Mothering Our Boys, A Guide for Mums of Sons, is out now. You'll find links to her website in the description of this Feed Play Love episode.